0: Welcome to Drilling Deep. I am your host, John Kingston. We call it Drilling Deep because we talk about oil, and the price of that is, as we speak, a lot higher than it was the last time we got together here on the podcast. We'll also talk about something happening next week: the spin-off of the contract logistics business at, at XBO. Our guest is my colleague Mark Solomon, who has been watching XBO for years and he has covered this spin-off. He's going to be here in a few minutes. Trucking companies, as we know, are dealing with much higher fuel prices than they were a year ago, six months ago. Take your pick on the, the time frame. It doesn't really matter. We know that. They're also dealing with coming off a pretty good second quarter. The LTL companies in particular did extremely well. Most of the truckload carriers did as well. And one thing notable is that almost nobody is saying that fuel prices have been a headwind. The idea that you can just pass through your fuel cost via the fuel surcharge got a pretty good test this past quarter. The DOE price that serves as the benchmark for fuel surcharges started the quarter at about 3.14 dollars a gallon. It ended that quarter at about 3.30. dollars That's a significant increase, $0.16 cents in just 12 weeks. And yet when the companies put out their earnings, it wasn't even an issue. I mean, it showed higher revenue, including fuel, but nobody really talked about it in terms of impacting their bottom line. But that is the idea of the fuel surcharge. It's not supposed to matter. The surcharge is supposed to pass those costs onto the shippers, and the silence about fuel as a headwind suggests that it is working. Remember, not everybody has a fuel surcharge. An independent owner-operator that books a flat rate might not have one, but the assumption is that the rate they book will be enough to cover the cost of fuel. But when you have steadily rising fuel prices like you did in the second quarter, there is a lag, whether uh, it is behind the fuel surcharge or the rate that gets booked. If there was ever some period when the lag in the fuel surcharge should have been an issue, it's really been since last November, not just in the second quarter, because starting in November, we had the beginning of that 20-week rise in the DOE price that serves as the benchmark for fuel surcharges. And then we had several weeks of a slightly down market. And then we went on a 12-week run of increases. That run just ended the other this past Monday. So it was interesting to be on the SIA earnings call, as I was this week. And here, their CEO say the surcharge is working fine. The CEO of the company, Frederick Holzgreffy, he was asked whether the fuel surcharge table that that LTL carrier was using was working out well. Most of the LTL carriers actually publish a table online of their surcharges, so it's fairly transparent. He said the fuel surcharge table his company is working from is not creating any problems at all. The surcharges are, quote, not always going lockstep with the price of diesel, but, quote, Over time, it's a pretty good hedge. Now, you're not going to hear that on the calls with shippers. Those calls tend to come later in the quarter. And on those, if the issue comes up, they're going to tell their analysts that the cost of fuel is indeed a headwind for them. But again, that's kind of the whole point. Surcharges are expected to push the cost of fuel onto the shippers. That's how it's structured. So we've just come off a quarter in which prices, in which diesel prices rose for much of it. And meanwhile, you've got a CEO of a leading LTL carrier saying, hey, the surcharges work just fine for us. The conversation lasted on that SIA call about fuel surcharges. Maybe, you know, it was less than a minute, but, you know, it really spoke volumes in support of the way that surcharge is working. We're going to switch gears here on Drilling Deep, as we always do after the first few minutes. We're going to talk about our subject of the day. It's very timely uh, because on Monday... There's going to be a new stock on Wall Street. It's called GXO, and it's the contract logistics business of XPO, which is spinning it off from the parent corporation on Monday, August 2nd. It'll start trading that day. They're going to ring the opening bell. I know that we at Freightways were invited to their reception, which we may or may not go to. We'll find out about that. But the man who's been covering this for Freightways for these many months has been Mark Solomon, who has a long, long history writing about uh, XPO. And uh, Mark, welcome to Drilling Deep.
1: Hi, John. Thanks for having me.
0: So, Mark, this is the culmination of something that uh, XBO's CEO, Brad Jacobs, has wanted to do for a long time. He had a, I don't know, it was more sweeping plan, but he wanted to break up the company to some degree. And he finally did. So talk about what it's going to look like when this is all done.
1: Well, there will be two companies. Uh, The transportation company... Which Brad Jacobs will be chairman and CEO of. Uh Troy Cooper will be the president. Uh that will encompass the less than truckload, truck brokerage, final mile, and intermodal operations of the current XPO logistics. Um, last LTL. And freight brokerage will comprise about 90% of the EBIT, earnings before interest and taxes, of the new company, the transportation company. And uh, the other part of it is the contract logistics business, which has been spun off as a separate company, as you mentioned, known as GXO. Uh, That took shape after the acquisition of Conway by XPO in 2015 and the Menlo Worldwide Logistics arm was folded into XPO and now it's being spun off and it will be the largest pure play contract logistics provider in the world.
0: I define contract logistics here. I mean, how is it different than... I mean, what, what what is a company that is most similar to you? Say it's going to be the largest. Is it like a uh, is it like a Forward Air? Is it like a C.H. Robinson? Uh, what uh, who, who are their peers?
1: Uh, from a pure play standpoint, their peers are relatively small companies that I had never heard of. And um, again, there are companies like DHL, which has what is believed to be the largest logistics, contract logistics operation in the world, but they're not pure play. They're part of a larger organization with other components. Uh, The GXO operation will be just contract logistics. They won't have any other aspect of transportation, logistics, supply chain management. Uh, They won't be running a parcel operation. They won't be running a brokerage operation or an air operation. Their their only mission in life is to provide contract warehousing and distribution services to very large blue chip
0: businesses. So it's very much an asset heavy company with a lot of floor space. Uh, Yes. Cool. And, and are these warehouses now operating under the banner of XPO?
1: For now, I, the technically, I mean, all of the work has been done to shift the the function to the new company, GXO. What's left to be done now is for GXO to begin trading uh, as a public company uh, on its own two feet, which happens on Monday.
0: So you would not say that that Gxo is similar to, let's say, Prologis. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing them right.
1: Uh, Prologis is more logistics warehousing. They they don't do the kind of work or perform the functions that a Gxo would do. Gxo will manage the warehouse operations on behalf of customers, whereas Prologis is largely a developer and an operator. It does manage facilities, but they provide the the facilities and the related services for the clients to, to manage, whereas XPO takes the entire warehousing and distribution function away from, from the customer, uh, which the customer in many respects is very happy to, do, to relinquish and manages those operations on behalf of the customer.
0: Now, were there any benefits that XBO had from having this unit in, its, in, in the fold that now it's going to be, you know, the, these companies, they'll tell you that they're going to operate arm's length they're not going to have any kind of special deal for XBO. GXO will be, you know, say that XBO is going to be the same kind of customer that everybody else is out there. Uh does that hurt XBO at all? Do they get any benefit from having these operations under their banner?
1: Well, if you talk to Brad Jacobs and ask him that question, he will tell you that the cross-selling synergies that they that XPO had expected between the transportation and logistics businesses were not as robust as he and the top executives at the company expected. Most of the synergies were within, let's say, LTL and truck brokerage and last mile and intermodal, almost within the transportation function. But the the transportation and logistics synergies did not Materialized to the level that that Brad had hoped. Um, I think going forward, uh, it it would not surprise me if, for example, a customer approaches an uh, XPO salesperson, and says, "Look, I need contract logistics services along with my LTL and brokerage and final mile businesses." Uh, you know they it would not surprise me if that salesperson steers the customer to GXO
0: right but but they wouldn't have but they can't be doing it too much because if they were able to do it a lot then the whole Brad Jacobs idea that there's a lot of cross-selling would have been already in place
1: well yes i understand that and and that remains to be seen how how common that scenario will will be going forward. Nobody knows yet. Uh, The the main reason Brad did this was to eliminate the conglomerate discount that he believed was penalizing the entire organization because there were too many moving parts and it was too difficult for analysts to, to understand and value properly. Uh, That, again is the primary goal brad is not building an empire he never never put forth that idea that he was uh he his goal is to build wealth for share owners and he believes that ltl in particular and the rest of the xpo um uh, apparatus is significantly undervalued relative to companies like Old Dominion and SIA uh, and Robinson. Uh, So, the, the goal here really is to create two very large, very successful companies, each of which will trade at appropriate valuations to their peer group. At least that's the That's the hope. Uh, And, uh, again, that remains to be seen. Uh, There was a question asked on the analyst call today after XPO released their second quarter results as to whether Brad might sell off the rest of the transportation arm and just save the LTL unit and be a real pure play LTL carrier. And he said that's not in the car.
0: I mean, it's interesting because you know when you when you you look at the earnings of a uh, truckload carrier, the brokerage division at the truckload carrier is a very important part of the business. When you look at a company like Old Dominion, um, you know I, I mean I did the SIA earnings call today. I guess they might have a brokerage division, but it never even came up in conversation, and it's not broken out. But it seems to me that the XBO going forward is going to very much have. An LTL division and a brokerage division, and the brokerage division is viewed as being very important, which I think is sort of unusual in LTL world.
1: It it is unusual. It's a unique model. Uh, Old Dominion uses brokerage basically to handle overflow truckload freight that it does not want to move on its own network. Uh, That was talked about at during the analyst call for Old Dominion's earnings, which came out yesterday. You know, you don't hear much from LTL carriers about their brokerage business, which makes XPO a unique model. And I think that's a reflection of the fact that Brad started XPO as a brokerage company and he expanded from there. And I think he looked at brokerage as something that could be done uh, profitably. And at the same time, have an LTL unit that can provide service and and do that profitably. So not many companies have done what, what XPO has done, and not many executives have done what Brad Jacobs has done. So it is, in my view... Pretty unique among LtL operators
0: do you uh I, I was interesting looking at your coverage that you said that xBO had not made an acquisition since Conway and that goes back to two thousand and fifteen um is maybe it's because they've been so busy trying to make this other model work that they really felt they couldn't take on another acquisition. do you think by now having spun this off that you could see xBO really getting big into the acquisition game
1: no that question was asked Brad. During the analyst call, and he it was very much implied that m and a was at the bottom or the lower end of the priority list um The main goal is to delever and lift x p o to investment grade status uh debt reduction and uh you know perhaps a more balanced uh, Debt to equity ratio is is what is uppermost in Brad's mind right now. He will not rule out M&A, but the way this company has evolved in the last five years, uh, M&A, at least on the transportation side, seems like a very fading proposition, a fading proposition.
0: Uh, what was where was Wall Street on this? Did they applaud this move for the most part?
1: The spin-off? Yeah. Yes, they have. Um shares have been um re rated. Uh ever since the spin-off was announced, was made public, which was I think in January of this year. Uh people understand what Brad is trying to do. Uh They believe that Brad was constrained by this discount. Uh, XPO was trading at fairly low multiples of current year EBITDA relative, again, to companies like Old Dominion and SIA and Robinson. And there's a great deal of confidence among investors in Brad's ability to unlock shareholder value. He's done it before. Executed well up to now, so there's a you know there's a belief that that this will provide XPO investors who obviously will get a, a portion of GXO uh, with uh, optimal value for their investment
0: is it a simple uh, distribution you have one share of xpo you get one you know, share not now i'm really
1: of it. sure of that john and i, I
0: that, that would make sense there's no reason to get a partial share you right, know it's right, this is an merger right uh yeah I, I,
1: again i i think brad at this point doesn't really have much to prove on the operational side he he has done or gone where no other Executive in this industry has gone before uh seventeen acquisitions in a four year period with you know successful integrations of of all of them I mean, I'm sure there were bumps along the way, but I've been in this industry long enough to watch companies struggle with one or two integrations of acquisitions and Brad has done it almost seamlessly. And and again, the volume of acquisitions is just extraordinary for an industry like this.
0: You know, I understand the conglomerate discount. I worked for a company that had a conglomerate discount, uh, had problems with that. I worked for McGraw-Hill. And uh, that was, you know, the two main operations there were McGraw-Hill, a book publisher, and Standard & Poor's, which is a debt rating agency, two groups that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. And in order to clear it up, they had to get rid of the book company, which was the name of the company, you know, so you see how radical a move that was. Um, let me ask you, I mean, I understand the value in in breaking them up from a Wall Street perspective of getting a better handle on what the company is worth total. But what is the um, uh, which which company is more profitable? I mean, how, how is the profitability of what's going to be spun off into GXO compared to the profitability of what's sticking behind?
1: Uh, well, both companies are profitable. Um, I can read you, uh, the description of the post-spin, uh, profitability situation. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, XPO has updated its pro forma full year 2021 financial targets for XPO and GXO. Um, GXO's target for adjusted EBITDA has been raised and um you know the the GXO is a um you know the target uh, excuse me 2022 adjusted EBITDA targets for GXO have been raised um again like I said both companies are profitable um and GXO will be investment grade from day one, which again I think speaks to the quality of its business, uh, the macro factors that are working in its favor e commerce, globalization, uh, third party control over non core businesses of customers, um, and a Again, a very, very strong position across the world, whereas the transportation component is effectively the United States.
0: All right. So you mentioned him earlier. Who's going to be the CEO of GXO? What do you know about him?
1: Uh, Malcolm Wilson. He's got a, a, a long background with XPO. Uh, he's been in the industry for quite some time. Uh what will be interesting to watch is that Brad is the chairman of GXO as well as XPO. Now, uh, there are instances, I think Michael Dell comes to mind, of of one executive, particularly if it's a founder, running two separate publicly traded companies. Um, Brad will be the chairman as, of GXO, as I mentioned, and there's sense within the, the 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 commentary inside XPO is that Brad will be a chairman will assume a chairman's role in terms of being titular and it being a formality uh but he will not be running the day-to-day operations but he will be involved in I'm sure key strategic decisions at GXO he is the chairman so it will be interesting to watch how much involvement and influence Brad will have on GXO's operations again he built what is now GXO he didn't acquire it this was his company and it it still carries a lot of of weight and influence with him and he will be involved in in GXO's business. Again, the, the question that will be answered with the fullness of time is to what extent?
0: Yeah, you know, under the G principle of ESG, I would think an arrangement like that would probably flunk the G test, um, because that's that would not be considered sort of hands-off governance and you got one person mean chairman of two companies that are i mean they don't have really overlapping businesses but they're in kind of the same field you know it it may not, and it may, may make you know it may make no difference at all in terms of the the way their stock is traded or whatever but i just don't think this passes the g test
1: they are very much in the same field john this is not you know if if you remember
0: but they're not competitors,
1: competitors. they are not but you know there's there's a augmentation type of scenario, where, as I said earlier, you have a a transportation client who wants contract logistics services. well, you know if you're a XPO account executive for that customer, where are you going to to go and and who will you turn to first?
0: Well, it'll all start on Monday, August 2nd. It'll be the first day of trading for GXO, the spinoff from XPO. Our guest today has been Mark Solomon. He has been the He's the senior editor of Freightways who has been covering this issue for, even before you were at Freightways, really, but you've been writing about the spinoff since it first happened. Mark, thanks for joining us today.
1: Thank
0: you, John. Thanks for having me. So we want to thank all of you for tuning in today to Drilling Deep. Drilling Deep is part of the Freightcast family of podcasts. From Freightways, you can find us on all of the major podcasts podcast platforms. We hope you'll join us again. I'm John Kingston. See you then.